0: This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson.
1: Hello, basketball fans. It's your favorite time of the week. We have a new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by our fabulous and fantastic producer, Tariqa Foster Brasby. Um, we've got a great show lined up for you. We are going to talk Big Ten. We've got Christy Winter Scott. Lisa Byington helping us dissect the Big Ten Conference as well as talking about some big matchups from across the country. Carolyn Keeger, the head coach of the Marquette Golden Eagles, is going to join the show as well. Um, a program that is way on the radar after last season winning the Big East Tournament Championship and getting a five seed in the NCAA Tournament. So we're excited to have Carolyn. Um, so we will have a very short intro today as we have a lot of... Um, a a lot to discuss in the show, but we wanted to start off first and foremost sending our condolences, our prayers, and our thoughts to not only the Baylor Lady Bear family, but um, just women's basketball as we lost one of our own. Shamika Scott unfortunately passed away. Shamika was a member of The 2005 Baylor um, National Championship team, Um, I've been reading so many posts about Shamika and the kind of person she was, the kind of player she was. Um, Tisha Pitichero was a teammate of hers who shared some words. I know Chantel Anderson has shared some words, but you can just tell that there were so many lives that Shamika touched. And um, we lost Shamika to cancer. Um, She had a colonoscopy in, in 2015, and doctors discovered a malignant blockage, um, and she had surgery and was thought to be cancer-free, but the cancer recently returned, and she had been undergoing treatment at MD Anderson Cancer Center in her hometown of, of Houston um, and unfortunately has passed away. Shamika was, a, again, a, a member of that national championship team in 2005. Um, they call her a defensive dynamo, and she played at Baylor from 2002 to 2006 and uh, was a big part of that that first national championship. And so we're just obviously devastated as a basketball family, but more so just thinking of Baylor and thinking of Shamika's family and all of her her teammates and the people and lives that she touched. So um, rest in peace to Shamika, and um, we just wanted to give her a moment of silence.
2: So, um, LaChina, I have officially decided that you and I are no longer able to talk about teams that are doing well. I think that you and I are jinxes.
1: What happened?
2: Well, we spoke so highly about Tennessee and we had a great show. At least I thought it was an awesome show. And then two losses in a row kind of happened.
1: Uh, yeah, you think so? Like, we 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 kind of suck for that. Um, and me more so. I mean, you can say that, but I'm an analyst, right? So I'm supposed to get this stuff right. I had <laughs> a game at Tennessee. Now, I will say the competition that they've lost to is, is they've lost to great teams, you know? So, hey, that may still stand. And at the end of the day, I'll stand by what I said about them playing together as a team looking much much more improved in terms of their leadership. So there's still some ways in which they're back, but are they back, back? No, we got some work to do.
2: We got some work to do. So I know you've got some people to help you uh, get that together in the first quarter. Oh, for sure. First quarter, it's time to blow
3: the
1: whistle. So we are blowing the whistle in our first quarter and want to talk about um, – two programs and a couple of games that stood out to us um, over this last week of, of women's college basketball. To do that, I want to bring in um, two fantastic women's basketball analysts, and Lisa does a little play-by-play, I guess I could say. Please <laughs> so join me in welcoming to the show Christy Winterscott and Lisa Byington. Welcome, ladies. Always a pleasure yeah. to Yeah, so, okay, a couple games I want to talk about really quickly, but to set us up, let's start with some sound with our very own Holly Rowe with Muffet McGraw, Notre Dame's head coach, after their win over Tennessee. Well, Muffet, just over a week ago, your team had maybe one of the most disappointing losses you've ever had. How do you describe the fight and the turnaround
3: to the biggest comeback you've ever had. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing and to see how they continue to compete even though we did so many things wrong in the first half. But it's a, last year we were up 15 on them, came back and they won the game. So it was a good turnaround. As you saw your team fighting down the stretch, it was stops, it was forcing turnovers, it was all the little fight. What stood out to you? Yeah, we got really good shots, but defensively that was the key. I mean, we got some great stops, a lot of deflections, a lot of steals. Forced them into turnovers. We only gave them one shot. We focused
1: so much on who you don't have on this team, who's hurt.
3: What do you have that stood out to you? i tell you, we got a we got a team of all Americans right now. They are fighters. They are competitors, and just they showed so much heart today. I'm so proud of them.
1: So again, that was Muffet McGraw with our Holly Rowe after Notre Dame came back from a 23 point deficit. To beat the Tennessee Lady Vols. Now the thrashing that Holly referenced was the loss that um, Notre Dame had taken to Louisville just seven days before, a hundred to sixty-seven. It was one of the worst losses in Notre Dame history. Thirty-three points. Louisville was just amazing in that game. And and, and Lisa, I just want to ask you: Notre Dame's down to seven healthy players. <laughs> they just recently lost Lili Thompson, so they don't even really have a true point guard. How is Notre Dame fighting through all of that to pull off a a win like this? First of all, I didn't get to say hi. Hi, Boo. Oh, hey, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Hey, Boo. Um, No,
3: it's, you know what, there's that phrase, you know, this is why we play the games, um, but this is also why we play the season. And, you know, when you you hear the news about even before the Wheatley Thompson injury and, and the other injuries that Notre Dame had to sustain. And then the Thompson thing happens and then the blowout against Louisville happens. And I had basically thought, well, you know, that's probably what you would expect for the team going through all that stuff. So I had written them off. Well, don't write off Notre Dame, because as we heard in the interview, I mean, you, you go from one of the worst losses to one of the best comebacks. And um, you know, the you have covered Muffet uh, closer than I have in the ACC, but, I might argue that if if they can continue to do what they're doing, this might be Muffet McGraw's greatest coaching year or greatest coaching accomplishment. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, for sure, 100%. I mean, they, keep in mind, they, they don't have Breonna Turner. I mean, I think over the last year they've lost four, maybe five players, not to mention that Catherine Westbelt has not been at 100%. So she has been not practicing full-time, working through injuries. I mean, this is a team that won at Oregon State, um, won at Western Kentucky, uh, beat South Carolina, beat Michigan in Ann Arbor, was very close to beating UConn, and, yeah, Louisville embarrassed them. Louisville's Mm -hmm. a very good team but then you beat Tennessee after you were down 23 points. I'm with you. It's Muffet. It's their toughness. Um, I I am just in awe of of what they've been able to do. What I will say is, and we'll talk a little bit about Big Ten later, but, um, you know, Maryland looks a little shaky this year uh, after they lost to Michigan State, right? We're used to them being the team in the Big Ten that's winning the championship, setting the bar. Now you have Notre Dame losing to Louisville, so I think the ACC and Big Ten – are shaking up just a little in terms of what may happen when it comes regular season crowning time or even um, tournament crowning time with these two programs. But you're right. It's all about that fighting Irish spirit. Now, one other team I want to talk about really quickly, and um, Andy Landers is going to set us up. Let's hear some sound.
4: The best thing about Mississippi State is they know who their go-to players are, and they have a means, a way to get them open, and they get them open, get them the basketball Blair Schaefer shooting the three from the corner by design when they needed it. Mississippi State executes their offense
3: very well.
1: Now that's Andy talking about Mississippi State, who just came off of a major win against Tennessee. Um, It was a game that everyone was looking forward to. What's going to happen? You know, uh, Mississippi State comes in undefeated and they beat Tennessee 71 to 52. And we know this Mississippi State team to be tough on defense, but their offense this season has been fantastic, which is what Andy Landers alluded to there. You know, whether it's Tierra McCowan, six, seven Blair Schaefer in the starting lineup. Now, who's a fantastic shooter. Like now you add more offense on the floor than what they had last year at that position. Morgan William um, is, does what she does. Roshunda Johnson is, is a very underrated score. And then Victoria Vivians is just playing out of her mind in her senior season. Christy, are you at all, considering what they lost last season, which was a lot of leadership, a lot of length on the defensive end, which I think is one of the reasons why they've been a little bit slower to get to Vick's bar on that in the floor. But are you surprised that they're still undefeated at this point in the season?
0: I'm not. I think the way that they played in front of 13,000 fans at Tennessee was amazing. And, that was the 11th win over the top 10 team in Big Schaefer's career. So to see that kind of stability, I'm not concerned. I think he's got the ball rolling literally and figuratively for his team. And, and you heard Andy Langer say, hey, we know who they're going to go through at the end. But I think what you said, Latina, is very correct. Because the balance, and we don't really know exactly who they're going to go to. We know that. Victoria Vivians can get her offense off, and she had 24 points in that Tennessee game, but they have four players in double Donaldson. So they had great balance. And when you can spread the wealth like that, that makes it tough to guard. And Tennessee saw that. They couldn't stop the bleeding. There were too many holes in the boat. They couldn't get it going on defense. And Tennessee, I think they struggled with turning the ball over, and we saw that in the Notre Dame game as well. Um, when they had that huge lead and, and gave it back, so I think with Mississippi State, I'm not concerned with them. I think you know the confidence of the players returning, having that Final Four experience last year, and Morgan Williams
1: with that shot last year. I think they're going the
0: same way in terms of what happens on the court moving forward for that program.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And that Tennessee as well, because that part of it was a big part of this, right? They only scored eight points in the fourth quarter um, versus Mississippi State that had 18. And there's a little bit of a concern. Tariq and I jumped the gun last week. We were like, Tennessee's back. Well, what's happened since Tariq and I said that is they've lost three or four, including two Texas A&M to Notre Dame, and now to Mississippi State, which are all very good teams, but I I just don't think that the Lady Vols are where I thought they were. So that's a big storyline, and we'll keep our eyes on that. But let's talk about Big Ten because that's where you guys live, and there's a lot going on in that space.
3: Second quarter, Inside the Huddle.
1: Well, first of all, you know when you're playing pickup, you don't care about playing defense, you're just trying to go back on offense? Mm -hmm. That's what it kind of looks like for Ohio State. (laughs) And Maryland's taking advantage of it. They've gotten open looks time after time from the outside, and they've been able to hit them. Wide open, we've seen Christianaki hit threes. She was five for nine. We've seen Confroy hit threes, three for
3: three. But they've had time. It's not like it's a surprise that these two players can make
1: three-point shots. They've gotten open looks, and they've knocked them down every time. Alright, so that was the voice of our Rebecca Lobo at halftime of our big matchup of the week between Ohio State and Maryland in College Park. Maryland would go on to win that game 99 to 69. Ladies, I mean, this game was, was shocking. I mean, the end score of 99 Maryland, Ohio State 69 blows me away, but so does the entire Big Ten, which we'll get to in a moment, whether it's Rutgers or Purdue or I mean just there's just been some randomness in the league but let's start with this game Christy were you shocked by this score and these performances taking your Maryland Terps hat off for the moment but were you shocked by <laughs> by the outcome and the score of this game I was because I've seen Maryland several times this
0: season and the consistency on offense against Ohio State on Monday was outstanding I just say the least and you heard Rebecca Lowe say they were getting open looks. So if you give people open looks who can knock down shots with extreme efficiency, you're going to be in big trouble. And I think Maryland also had in their back pocket the thought of Ohio State being one of two teams now after uh, Michigan State defeated Maryland this season, being one of two teams in the Big Ten to defeat Maryland in the last three and a half years. So I think there was a little bit of pride on the line for, for Maryland as well. But I think that they came out clicking and were ready to go. And, and the loss of uh, Blair Watson, I think the last week or so, they've been playing a little um, with a lot of emotion about that. that. And, of course, the rotation changes, so this is your overall team chemistry. So I think everything's falling into place. It's great to see Christian get shot in uh, for Maryland. And when that happens, I think uh, the balance of the team really stands strong. And to have six players now with Blair Watson out, Averaging in double figures, the balance, uh, you know, it spoke for itself against Ohio State. And I was surprised that it was 30 points, (laughs) but um, it was in College Park. The energy was, was great. But when all those shots started falling, it was just like an avalanche. And it was really tough for Ohio State to stop it.
1: Yeah, I mean Kristanaki, as you mentioned, had twenty six. Um, Charles had thirty two. They shot fifty five percent for the field, sixty one percent from three point land. They were eleven of eighteen from three. And you know, one thing stands out to me, Lisa, is hearing Rebecca talk about playing pickup and not really worrying about playing defense are you worried about this performance i mean ohio state is a team that's expected to be like a, a lock pretty much for the final four i mean when you look at their roster what they have they have you know uh, the best score in the nation uh, arguably in, in kelsey mitchell um are you concerned about their defensive showing as as rebecca was expressing or do you think this was just a night where maryland was special I
3: love what Rebecca said, and I've been concerned about their defensive showing for four years, and I, I think it's a major problem. I do not agree that they are a lock for the Final Four. They're very mm-hmm. undisciplined defensively, and that has been a constant problem for the last four years. And, they, it, yes, they won my like share of the Big Ten Championship the regular season last year, but it is not a championship team. And And I know that those are very harsh words, but – They have to figure out who they are defensively. If they can't score the basketball, then they can't win. So teams that can play defense have a chance of overcoming some of those off nights. I mean, they forgot that Eliana Kursunaki, I think, was eligible to play at Maryland in that game. I think Ohio State thought it was November (laughs) or December still because
0: they they didn't
3: care. (laughs) They left her wide open. And Maryland would run the same ball screen flip play that Ohio State Mm -hmm. never adjusted to. And that's my concern. When you're just talking about a defensive aspect, the in-game adjustments that are made, and I don't know if that's a coaching thing, I don't know if that's a player's listening to a coaching thing, but they have lacked making in-game adjustments uh, time and time again. And Christy, you and I have seen that. In particular, we did the Ohio State-Michigan game, and and they wouldn't really adjust to defending
0: Hallie Thome
3: on the block. Great. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Hallie Feldman, yeah. those 27 points in the second half just went loose, but never a double team coming her way, never a triple team coming her way, and it was just a, a layup deal for her.
1: Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, you know, that I think their defense, their defensive inconsistency um, is one reason why I have not been able to really. Um, you know, I, I mean, I love when they're cooking on the offensive end it's so fun to watch, but in terms of what they can do long-term or what this team is capable of, I haven't been able to check that next box because of what you expressed, Lisa, what, which is their, their defense, you know, and whether or not they're actually committed to that end of the floor. So let's, let's talk a little broader. You guys mentioned Michigan. What's, what's ha- going right for Kim Barnes or Rico's team?
0: I think with Michigan, I think they're playing with a chip on their shoulders. I mean, this is a team that has come up short to make the NCAA tournament the last three seasons. And for their seniors, I think it really means the most. And I think every possession matters for them because they know how close they were last year. They did win the WNIT championship. That is not enough. I think this is a hungry team out to prove something, and they're doing it over and over again as the Big Ten season is going along here. And I think it's really fun to watch. They have a lot of fire. They are very disciplined in terms of their game plan. Um, sitting in their practices, they're very specific. And the kids know what to do, what to expect, what defenses they're going to change to, what kind of wrinkles they're going to do in their offense. And I just think when you have the buy-in and uh, the atmosphere that, that they have, I think there's like the utmost of trust. You feel that there's not a um, awesome them with the staff and the players. I think it's very um, cohesive in that regard. And that's why they've been a monster. They've been tough to play against because they have that kind of confidence and they have that hunger. I think that, you know, when teams have it, it's so dangerous to play against because not only are you playing against Caitlin Flaherty with over 2,500 points now, I mean, she is amazing, but you have balance on the inside and outside. You have Bunger, who is a great X-Factor who's come up huge in a lot of games this year so far. So they have great complimentary players, but they also have
1: go-to players down the stretch. And they have come up big down the stretch for Michigan this year. Because this is the interesting thing, right, not only about Michigan, which if fans haven't seen Caitlin Flaherty, you have to see her. Kim Bonsarico, I'm a huge fan, going back to her her, her St. John's days. But you look at mm-hmm. where they are, they're second in the league. So there's Maryland, Michigan, then Ohio State, and then, guys, this is, you know, we can kind of put a ribbon on this, and and this is going to be hard to do um because of all the different factors we're getting ready to talk about. But Nebraska, Nebraska is fourth in the league right now five and 2 And some of this, I know, is based on schedule, who you've played so far, and that kind of thing. Purdue, which had high expectations coming in, and then they were lowered, and then they went high again, you know, after a couple of, of really impressive wins. They're in the mix. And then Rutgers, They were ranked in the top 25. And after they get ranked in the top 25, then they go on a losing streak. Uh, Minnesota has had some really bright moments. And you've got Michigan State, Penn State, an intense position right now as Iowa, which I feel terrible for because Lisa Bluter's team looked fantastic to start the year. But injuries and, you know, I mean, they've just been ravished and and really have not been able to, obviously, personnel-wise, do what we thought they would do. So if, if you take those spots between Nebraska and Iowa what's happening here like what why do we see maybe a big win here is and who do you think is going to really come out of this group right here you know well i think
3: with the big 10 i think there are there are there are clear three top teams and in my opinion that's that's Maryland ohio state and michigan and then the teams with China. Can I say with China again? That's my second time calling you. Yeah, you're that's awesome,
1: too. I'm impressed. Uh,
3: so, <laughs> the, so the middle of the pack. The middle of the pack, I think, is up for grabs. And those were some of the teams that you're talked about. Iowa, I think, could again be on the uptick. They just got Mackenzie Meyer back on January 21st. She's one of the guards who you mentioned was was injured. They won't get Kanaya Davis back. Their point guard. But Mackenzie Meyer is a three-point shooter, so that could help and ease some of the attention that a Megan Gustafson is getting. Who, by the way, I think should be on everyone else's. Day. Everyone should add her to the midseason, you yes. know, player of the year, forward of the year, center of the year, whatever, whatever awards there are out there. Because she's putting up <laughs> some ridiculous numbers. I agree. So I do, see Iowa, I do see Iowa getting some wins here down the stretch. I think Nebraska, I'm comfortable with saying that Nebraska is who it is and is who we have seen them to be. They're capable of maybe upsetting the team. They took Michigan to overtime, by the way. Um, I think they have a good mix. of their, You look at their top seven scores, they have a nice mix of underclassmen and or upperclassmen, I should say, and youth. Some of their top scores are young. Hannah Whitish is a sophomore. Uh, Nicaea Liley is a sophomore. Kate Kane, Taylor Kissinger are all freshmen and then you couple that with some role players, Maddie Simon, Jasmine Sincor, seniors and juniors. So I like that mix. Purdue, again, I I go back to what I talked about with Ohio State. I always feel like Purdue can be in it and can upset teams um, because they play defense. And if you're a team that's always going to play defense, I feel like you're always a team that has a shot. So I look at them as, as a team that continues to be on the uptick. But, you know, to circle back real quick about the conversation about Michigan, I might pick them as my eventual champion um, and maybe to be co-champions, maybe to be co-champions with Maryland. If you look at Maryland's schedule and Michigan's schedule right now, they are aligned to meet each other. Um, it would be Michigan's only meeting with Maryland. It would be at home. It would be on senior night. It would be the last, you know, regular season game from Michigan. And really from now until then, that's really the only ranked team that Michigan plays. And so um, I'm really looking at the Wolverines and, and, and making the, the strongest push here in conference play down the stretch.
1: I like that. And I like you as an analyst. Christy, um, <laughs> the other team, Rutgers, right? Vivian Stringer, very yes. close to her 1,000th win. Um, you know, Scaife is back in the mix, but they've all mm-hmm. of a sudden hit this down tilt. I want to ask you what you think about Rutgers and then um, also who you think will come out of the pack.
0: Well, definitely, just going back to what Lisa just said, if your team can play defense,
1: and Rutgers is known for
0: their defensive prowess. So, yes, I think Rutgers can turn things back around. They were very impressive in the non conference season and begin Big Ten play. But when you have C. Uh, Vivian Stringer at the helm, you have to always push them into the mix. You have to put them there because of what she expects from her players on the defensive side of the floor. and. With her ability to run that 55 defense again this year, I think great things are going to happen for them. Yes, they did hit that tumble after they were ranked, but I think Coach Stringer does a good job of not only coaching X to those, but she also coaches mindset pretty well over her 47-year career. So when you have that kind of mentorship and that kind of instruction, I think that Rutgers could be that dangerous team. I think that they've really proven themselves this year to – turn the table from last season where they only won six games and to fight for the pride of their program at Rutgers. And I think that they can make a strong push in conference play. Now, when you have uh, Tyler Scape back in the mix, she's a strong leader. She holds her players accountable, her teammates accountable, and she holds herself accountable too. So it can't all be on her shoulders. It can't be a one person band out here. Everyone's got to do their part, but in crunch time you know she's going to get a touch you know the ball is coming through her offensively so it makes it easier for other teams to guard her and to take her out of the play so she's going to have to learn how to play with that kind of i guess pressure on her if you will but pressure is a privilege that's what i was taught so you have to want that and i think that records as a whole has that pressure to sustain themselves in terms of winning games and after last year i think they're
1: Really on the on the block to get that done, and I think that they'll they'll push through and,
0: and we'll do it.
1: Yeah, it's it's really been the kind of season where I mean you know what Scaife is possible is is capable of doing, and everyone. If you haven't seen Taj Scaife, you have to see her as well. But it's just been one of those seasons to me where. Um, you know, they, this group has to learn what that expectation is. Like you just talked about, what CB and Stringer is about, what this rope, what this Rutgers program has been about. That's not what we've seen consistently happen these last few years. So this group of players, I think, is more getting an understanding of this is the bar, right? And, you're either going to reach it or you're not, but this is what Rutgers basketball has been. And the question is, can Mm -hmm. they get back to that consistently? Not on one night, getting a big win, but can they get back to that consistently? Well, that's our wrap on the Big Ten uh, with lots of wonderful information shared. Coming up right after the break, we have the head coach of the Marquette Golden Eagles, Carolyn Keeger, join the show. And don't forget, Tariq and I want you to engage with us via social media Twitter using the hashtag Around the Rim. My handle at LaChinaRobinson and Tarika's handle is at sports underscore. And you have to download the podcast. You can subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review either on the ESPN app under the Listen tab for Around the Rim or you can also subscribe on the Apple Podcast. Leave us your thoughts, ask us questions, whatever you want. We want to hear from you. Coming up right after the break, don't forget, stay where you are. We have Coach Carolyn Keeger joining the show.
3: Third quarter, Coach's Corner.
1: Well, fans, um, we are excited to have a very special guest with us. Every guest is special, but this young woman is particularly special to me um, because I talk a lot, we talk a lot on the show about just – um, what coaches bring to the game, whether it's you know their X and O, their expertise in, in that area, or recruiting, or um, even just their branding personality and how they deal with student-athletes. Well, well, this coach has all of those things together, and I, I've had the privilege and honor of watching her grow um, really over the past 10 years. Please join me in welcoming the head coach of the Marquette Golden Eagles, Carolyn Keeger, to the show. Welcome, Carolyn.
4: Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Is, uh, well, I was telling China. I feel like I made it now that I'm out around the rim. You know, that's <laughs>
0: <a big deal. laughs>
1: well, we'll take it. You know, we'll take it. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like I'm looking at your career. You know, you're in your fourth season at, at Marquette, which is your alma mater. Fans need to know that you still hold the record. You're the, the program's all-time leader in assists. Um, but you have just done such a fantastic job in establishing the brand of your program. Just to give fans a a little bit of background on Carolyn. Um, She's a head coach at Marquette. Now, as I mentioned before that, she worked as an assistant in Miami for six season with Katie Meyer. But the big story was last year in your, your third season, you win the big East tournament title on your home floor for the first time in program history. You also earned a program best fifth seed in the NCAA tournament, um, returning to the tournament for the first time since 2011 so you have already made your mark Carolyn just talk a little bit about um let's start with the jump like when did you know that it was time for you to go from being an assistant at, at Miami to having your own program well I think you know coach Meyer I was really blessed to be in a situation where um
4: you know, she was really grooming me um, for a long time, and really helping me understand the game from a different perspective other than just an assistant coach level. Um, so I could be ready if if the time you know came. And I don't think I was ever necessarily looking for, you know, was it ready to move or was this the time? I think it was just the opportunity presented it itself, and um, you know, I felt like uh, Coach Meyer did a great job of preparing me, and it was the perfect time and perfect situation. And I- I'm blessed to to be here at Marquette, and I'm also blessed to have been you
3: know, given the chance to lead my alma mater.
1: Now, you you mentioned just opportunities to prepare you. And we hear coaches sometimes say, I don't know if I'm getting the the chance to do things that will help make me a head coach or will, will give me good footing. What are maybe some things that you were allowed to do or that you find were beneficial now that you're a head coach? You look back and say, this experience was good for me as an assistant.
4: Yeah, I think first and foremost, um, the way we did things at Miami is um, everybody got their hands dirty in every area. So we didn't necessarily have a recruiting coordinator. We didn't have a scouting coordinator or player development. Um, we all had our specialty area. That was our strength. But everybody did everything. And, um, you know, so for me, as I got older and as as I grew, coach also gave me opportunities to be involved with marketing or to be involved with administration. Um, So it wasn't just the X's and O's side or dealing with the players. It was more so, you know, how can you handle administration? How can you handle issues? How can you handle, you know, speaking engagements or whatever it may be because there's so much more that goes into coaching than just, uh, you know, how to talk to a kid on the phone or how to wrap up a recruiting conversation or what play to draw at the end of the game. And I think that's where I learned my most with my last couple years is uh, you know, she she kind of said to me, "Is you know, the basketball side, is that I think you're good with. We, we need to make sure you're ready in every other area. And, um, you know, I'll be forever grateful for that.
1: So the opportunity becomes available at Marquette, and Terry Mitchell, who we both love, who I know you still have a great relationship with, who, uh, who coached you at Marquette, you know, you, so you knew so much, obviously, as a player and all of that about the program, but what What made it outside of it being your alma mater? What made it a good fit, right? Because people always say the first job you take, it's important that you know you understand A, B, and C about that program as you make that decision. what What made Marquette um, a, a good fit for you for your first job? I think first and foremost, you know, the values and the culture of what Marquette
4: stood for. Obviously, I knew the university well, so I knew what they were about. And, um, you know, trying to be at a place that aligned with, with my vision and, and my character was, was really important for me. So that was first and foremost, uh, to be at a place that I believe in. Uh, so that was a no-brainer when it came to, came to that. Um, secondly, at a place that um, cares about women's basketball, you know, that wants to grow the brand and that wants um, their program to, to be on the map and, you know, is invested in sports resources and wants them to be just successful as, as their men's program. And I feel very lucky here, um, you know, at Marquette is, you know, I, I want to be one of the, the top teams in the country and i want to stay there. And my administration aligns with that and um, I feel very supported every day and I know I'm really lucky when it comes to
1: that. You, I mean, and I said this in the open, I am, I was so impressed even in going to your first practices and having our first conversation, just, How organized you were in terms of what you wanted for your program, long term, short term, what style of basketball, what type of recruits you wanted. You know, you you really painted a very clear vision. And I guess, you know, looking at the success that you, you came off of last year, obviously this blueprint worked, but I know it wasn't perfect in terms of how you got there. So how did you decide on those things, your style of play, you know, what you were going to target recruiting, Your, your like was there like a couple of things that like helped you to gain clarity over those areas?
4: Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, as as someone who's wanted to be a head coach, you know, since probably I was 12 years old, I think every time that I was a player, you know, in college or every time I was in um, a meeting as an assistant coach, or or in a game, you're always thinking, you know, what would I do as a head coach, or how would I run my program, or what would I like to be remembered as, or what would my team look like, so I think for me, the process started uh, way before, you know, I moved a seat over, and, um, you know, became a head coach, it's been something I've been thinking about, and, you know, really watching for a long time, you know, just being able to to watch Coach Meyer and Coach Mitchell, and learn from them, and, um, you know, have two great mentors was a big help, but I think... You know, for me, this is something that I've been dreaming about since I was little. So it wasn't just like all of a sudden I got the job and I was like, uh-oh, you know, well, what, what mm-hmm. kind of recruits do I want or what style do I want? This is something that I've kind of been thinking about for, for a really long time. So then, you know, for those younger coaches out there that aspire to be head coaches, I mean, you got to be ready because you don't know, you know, it could be the next season and, and you never know. I mean, I, I didn't expect a job to, to to happen when it did for me. So, um I'm glad I was prepared. I'm glad I had my thoughts together. And then, obviously, when you get here, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't go as planned, um, and you kind of have to adjust on the fly. And, um, you know, for me, I think it all stemmed back to culture. You know, I knew what I wanted my culture to look like, and I wasn't going to bend on that. So, in terms of, you know, when you you talk recruiting, when you think style of play, you first kind of think of what kind of, you know, young ladies you want representing your university.
1: Yeah. And in particular, I know that. Early on, I mean, you've been you've gotten you've gotten great talent, and especially talent in your area. It kind of brings me back to um, to Don Staley, actually, because like Don took this job in South Carolina, and when she took the job, I'm like, "There's no talent in South Carolina," and then all of a sudden, <laughs> I was like, "There's lots of talent she in South it. Carolina." Yeah, and you yep. you found it in Milwaukee and those surrounding areas, which is just really really blown me away. Um, and, and that takes me to so. Looking at, at your team, you know, a uh, guy, I always tell people, I am so fortunate to be able to cover the biggies because the level of offensive skill, um, you know, the, the things that DePaul runs and Villanova, like the beautiful offense. I mean, you know, the games are, are sometimes like 99, 102 regulation. Your style is a get up and, uh, up and down type of style. And, um, you know, you've got players to compliment that. Atisha Heideman, obviously, Alizea Blockin, who is just amazing. If anyone has not seen her play, you need to. Six-foot guard, she's a junior, she'll be a pro. Uh, But just give me some some idea of what the process has been like of helping this group of players understand what a championship mentality looks like to the point where they were able to win a Big East championship and go on to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely a process,
4: and um, it you know, we didn't we didn't win that just last year we, we won it from the moment they got on campus and instilling you know championship level work ethic, work ethic to start with I think was the main thing is we had a show and they had to buy into what it meant to work to be as hard or to work as hard as that you possibly can to be able to, to get that championship because you're right I mean the big East is loaded with with great coaches um, loaded with really hard scouting reports I mean every night you're, you're playing a different style and, and they're really hard to defend so in terms of being able to win a Big East championship, I mean, you have to be prepared on so many levels. So I think when this junior class first got here, they had they had talent and they had desire, but they had no idea what the work ethic or the heart was going to take. And I think for the last two years, it's really been grinding that and really trying to instill with them and showing them that, you know, there's a level of, you know, there's a wall in that what they thought mentally and they thought they had their max effort and they had no idea... How to push through it, and then once they learned, uh, I think is when they're starting to reach their potential. So it's been really fun to watch them grow. Obviously, uh, we're, we're always going to keep um, trying to get better and better, and I don't think they've fully reached their potential um, yet. So it'll be fun to see what we can do here in the next couple years. Yeah,
1: what is that? What is that next step? I guess how has this year gone for your team? Um, wow, you challenged them in the non-conference. <laughs> How is this year going for, <laughs> yeah. for your team, and kind of what is the key to taking that next step, and what is your goal? You want a Big East, uh, you know, tournament championship. How do you keep them hungry for that next step? Where are you guys now in that spectrum?
4: Well, I think for us, you know, we, we've talked about for a long time, um, you know, we, we want to be a top-ten program. And, and I think, you know, some people – you know, might laugh at that. They say, you know, you know, wow, you know, that's, that's a pretty lofty goal. And and it is, but, but I truly believe we can become one. And, um, you know, one, because we're supported and two, because, you know, we got great talent around here. And um, so first and foremost, I think what we're trying to do is schedule, schedule tough out out of conference. And if that's what our goal is, we got to schedule them and we got to see where the gap is. And we got to see how close we are. And if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. So, we definitely challenged them, you know. We we played Notre Dame, took them to overtime. We took Tennessee to overtime. Uh, you know, very close uh, ball games there, and I think that was really important for our players to see. One, we're really close, and then two, what's it going to take to get there? Because um, because yeah. clearly we didn't pull off those games, so there's some something that still needs to change and get fixed. So, uh, and I think that was a big help of, of why we were able to go eight and one to start this Big East conference play because you know, we challenged ourselves and we failed and, and we regrouped and uh, we tried to figure out, you know, how to make those failure successes in the
0: future.
1: I love that. And I'm, at, I'm, I'm looking at your roster and I'm just thinking, I mean, Amani Wilborn, I mean, th- these players, they fit your system so well. Erica Davenport is so underrated. Um, and, you know, it's your focus. It's everything you've expressed that you know in you know, intentionally where you want to go. And, it, and and even as it pertains to, I mean, look, you had some transfers in early in your time there and what you said about knowing what type of young women you want to be a part of your program. I mean, that clears it all up for you, right? They either they fit it right. or they don't. And yeah, it's their decision to leave at the end of the day. But that means that that wasn't for you. And I think sometimes right. we look at those situations as a loss. But what I love is that you haven't let that be an excuse, right? Like, someone could have said, "Oh, we lost so and so, and we had to regroup on our recruiting." But you, you already had a plan for that next class, and that next class, and the next class, so you weren't caught behind. If anything, this group is a- way ahead of schedule, um, and I and I love that because I know it takes a lot of work, and you know, your your staff and, and recruiting, and making sure that you guys had a plan B. Um, for the yep. unexpected and I just um, really admire everything you guys are doing Well, I, I gotta let you go but I just want to ask <laughs> you one more question um, so we do have a lot of young coaches listening and I'm going to let you choose which question you want to answer so right, you need like to answer Pick your fate. Huh? Uh, share, yeah, pick, there you go. Pick your fate. So you <laughs> could either share maybe some resources that were helpful for you, um, along the way in that transition from assistant to head coach or some current resources that you're using books, tapes, things you like to watch. I know you are huge on player development. Um, Momo and Bebe are a testament to that. I think you did a lot of work with them in Miami. Or you can share with us um, just some advice that you would give to to those who are thinking about making the transition. It's up to you.
4: Yeah. You know, I, I guess the biggest thing I would say in terms of advice and, um, and that would be the biggest thing, would and I kind of spoke on it, before but figure out what you're about figure out what your culture is and everything stems back to that whether you're an assistant whether you're a head coach you know whether you're grooming your staff whatever it may be uh, you know at the end of the day we're, we're developing people you know whether you know if they're there yet or not it's the name of the game is to make people better and so whether it's player development or whether it's your, your staff or uh, you know whether it's you know video coordinator it doesn't matter at the end of the day we're all trying to get better we're trying to grow the game so I, I would say first and foremost figure out you know, as an assistant or head coach, who are you? Like, what makes you tick? And then what's important to you? What are your non-negotiables? And I think for me, uh, that's something that I've really held on to is that I've had, uh, you know, my, my metaphors or, you know, my family rules, as I call them, or whatever it is, our program culture, and I won't, I won't budge from it. You know, it doesn't matter how many points you score. It doesn't matter, you know, what you bring to the table. If you're not about our culture, or you're not aligned with my vision. At the end of the day, it's not going to work. So you got to be who you are and do it the right way. And I think if you do that, eventually a success will come. And I think that's the biggest advice you can have because as a young coach, you're going to have tough moments, and you're going to you're going to look, oh my gosh, what am I doing, or how long is this going to take, or this is way harder than I thought. But if you if you stick to your gut and you stick to you know character and doing it the right way, you know it, it'll follow and success will come.
1: Carolyn Keeger, the next up and coming big deal in coaching. <laughs> She's already a star. The next step is big deal. So, uh, keep your eyes on the Marquette Golden Eagles coach. We appreciate your time. Thanks for I all you do. Thanks you for sharing. And everything you do for the game.
4: Yeah, thanks for, for sure. Everything you, do. you know I that.
1: I'll, hey, I'll see you on we're, Monday. We're all trying to get to you <laughs> your level. Wait for oh, it, whatever. You, you know, <laughs> top podcast. You know, we're, we're hey. Like you. <laughs> we're we're just trying to give back to the game, right? That's all we're all trying Amen. to do. Thank thank you, Amen. I appreciate that. Fourth quarter, uh, out of bounds. Fans, it's time for us to go out of bounds, and I think Tarika has found a nice piece that she wanted to share with not just women's basketball fans, not just basketball fans, but something from our good friend Jamel Hill that dropped this week. What happened, Tarika?
2: Yes, Jamel got a chance to sit down with a Minnesota League star and athlete of forever many years, Ms. Maya Moore, and um, what they spoke about was uh, a new... Series that is running with ESPN, the magazine in conjunction with the undefeated titled the state of the black athlete. And so um, a lot of different athletes have been writing letters and sitting down with different journalists to talk about the reason why they feel so strongly about um, the, the social climate and what it's like to be a black athlete. And so Maya Moore uh, just recently released hers and you can find it on the undefeated's website. And it was amazing. Like, she uh, pretty much stated why she felt so strongly about being a social activist and using her platform for that reason. And I was compelled by it when I read it, and I already had a sense of admiration for Maya. But after reading it and hearing, you know, her own words as to why she does the thing that she does and what the community means to her, it just makes me love her even more.
1: You know, Tarika, I would agree with you 100%. I'll say this. I've covered Maya Moore for a very long time. And she is normally the type of athlete who's just a little more reserved in what she talks about. Um, Used to try to keep it between the lines. You know, basketball. Didn't necessarily let the media in as much in in terms of what she's thinking. Um, Just a little bit more guarded, if you will. But we have seen this maturation of Maya Moore off the court, and it's exactly what you mentioned. She has just made the decision to use her platform for social change. So, you know, she said, you know, I grew up as a part of the middle class and I had access to things. And I looked and I said, well, what about the people that don't? Right. What happens to these people? So she's she's taken a social stance on various areas, but um, in particular, the way that our criminal justice system works. So. I won't get into it completely, but I thought one of the the quotes that stood out to me is she said, we shouldn't bash or shame women or women of color for talking about their struggles and weaknesses because that's being real. That's being human. And that's what she's done. She has taken her message. And I love her, how she talked about, you know, why is the WNBA ahead of the curve when it comes to social activism and and the fact that these women are used to fighting, right? Because right. they don't have anything to fall back on as much when it comes to, you know, the, the money that they're making or the access to the resources compared to the NBA. So they're used to the fight. So this is right up their alley in terms of what they stand for um, as an association and, and what they stand for as women. And Jamel just did a fantastic job, and she's the best. We, we love Jamel. We know that. But, you know, even in terms of how she looks at the role that Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart play in moments like that. And even though they're white women, they have taken up a cause that has affected their, their teammates of color, you know, 75% of the WNBA is black women. And I, I just love the, the entire thing. So thank you, Tarika, um You're right for bringing that. I'm sorry. I took that whole thing over.
2: No, but, uh, <laughs> that you were, you, I agree a hundred percent. So we, we're on the same page and, and I just wanted Maya to to get her shine i mean not as if she doesn't already already get her shine per se but this is just something that i feel if you're a women's basketball fan or just a fan of of knowing you know what these athletes are doing and are thinking outside of what they contribute to their particular sport this was uh one of the one of the better ways that i think they display that 100
1: percent. well fans check that out on the undefeated and with that don't forget that our show is now on SiriusXM. That's right. Mm-hmm. You can check Tarika and I out um, on Around the Rim on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. on Channel 84. That's the ESPNU channel on SiriusXM. And, um, yeah, with that, we will see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in and listening. And uh enjoy some women's basketball this week. Lots of great games. Yep.